Hey, yo, welcome to episode number 239 of the Shop Talk Show. Dave and I are going to get to a bunch of questions that you all sent to us, like, you know how you can make a WordPress site pretty fast on the front end through caching and good front-end performance techniques and stuff, but what if that back-end is still pretty slow? How do you beef that up? How do you diagnose what the problems with the slow back-end is? Uh, we have somebody who wrote in who just heard about HTTP2. What's the kind of current advice on that? When is things actually going to change because of HTTP2? Uh, this episode was brought to you by Send With Us, which is functionality that you can tack on to an email sending service provider that provides all the stuff that you wish it had like A-B testing and really good analytics and an actual editor to build your transactional emails. Really powerful, really cool stuff. Sign up for that at sendwithus.com slash shop talk for three free months, and we'll tell you more about that later in the show. We have questions about it from a web comic author trying to get set up to display their comics. What about using APIs through only front-end code? Kind of follow-up on that. Possible, not possible, not sure. Using CSS grid layout in production. Yes, no, what's the status of that? That and more coming up on Shop Talk Show. Hey everybody, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast with Chris and Dave. Hey, how are you? I'm doing really good. We yeah. thought we'd, you know, sometimes we do a little pre-show banter, get, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure the, I mean, you're all out there would be interested to in know what you're talking about. But I was like, I was like, Dave, let's just stop now and then hit record and we'll just talk about what we were going to talk about pre-show. And one of those things was like, I don't know. I'm just back from CSS DevComp, so I have some stuff I could talk to about that. And but Dave, you know, wasn't able to make it despite being one hour away. I know. I totally failed. It just was. I don't know. It was uh, the supermoon. I'm gonna blame the supermoon because I I can. Uh, so you got yeah. to do some fun stuff like camping, and then you got to you said you got to see Yehuda Cat speak about Ember and stuff, which is cool. Which and then we morphed into a little interesting behind the scenes drama, not eh, hot, hashtag hot drama about yarn. So maybe we should like, what the heck is yarn, dude? All right, let's bring it back. The section you've all been waiting for, the segment, hot drama. <laughs> yeah. So uh yahoo cats spoke in austin texas it was really uh it was cool like like four meetups kind of like dropped their meetup to like like go to this yahoo <laughs> hanging with yahoo um and it, it, i i they opened kind of like explaining who yahoo was to people who don't know and, and man he has such a huge like he he worked on jquery he's worked on rails he's worked on ember he's worked on you know thor which was like a, a server thing or a and, and like he, he's done like a whole bunch of stuff and like his background is actually kind of like a designer who got into code and so and then he's made all these sweeping kind of huge changes in these these uh languages and stuff or or frameworks and and languages or platforms. his brain works good his brain done work good. And, um, so he, uh, kind of got in most recently, he was, uh, looped in on yarn, which, which is Facebook's new, uh, package manager slash NPM, uh, like competitor. You're trying to think of it as a competitor, but it kind of, it's like the packages are still on NPM, right? Yes. Yes. So it's, um, but you know how like you type NPM install this thing. So uh, it's an NPM CLI competitor in a sense. Yeah, that's right. Like, so it, it sort of does the fetching and the resolution of the packages for you. Does that make sense? So if you like, if you request 
how it works today is if you do npm install jQuery or some or FitVids, let's say FitVids, you go and you uh, just you get FitVids and then you get actually you can't do that because I am installing out a pull request for that anyway. So let's say you did it and then it would have to go get uh, jQuery as a dependency and it would be like oh which version of jQuery do I need? Okay, let's see. Let's go. Let's go and get the latest then um, and. So it does all that negotiation. And the way Bundler, which Yehuda also works on and a Rails thing, is when it does that once, it creates a lock file. And it says, these are the versions I'm expecting. These are the versions I'm, I am I have. It kind of hard codes the, the versions you have. And if you want to um, upgrade, you have to explicitly say whatever on like, your update or something. Yeah, bundle update. And then that'll go through all of your dependencies and update them. But you could also go like bundle update fit vids and it would update fit vids uh, to the latest. Um, and then it would kind of then do jQuery to the latest because that's like its dependency. Um, you know, but if you had, I don't know, some, some plugin of jQuery that required jQuery 1.7.2, then it would just stay at 1.7.2 because FitVids doesn't care. Anyway, that's, that's the negotiation resolution. It's a very expensive task because you're like going up and down and querying kind of everything and pulling it all in memory and, you know, for big projects like, like React or Babel or, um, okay. Like, so, you, and yarn works differently somehow. Yarn generates that lock file just like Bundler. So it basically just says, Hey, these are what I'm expecting. Go get these guys, these, these packages. And so it was probably, it can't be something that NPM never thought about. Was it just like too hard for them to do or are they philosophically opposed to a lock file? Or Well, that was, that was the hot drama or the, the insight I got. Cause, you know, I, every time this happens, it's just like, like, well, why didn't you like contribute to the main thing? Like, why didn't you, you know, why didn't, like, why'd you have to go start a new one? And, and now everyone has JavaScript fatigue. Why'd you have to go do an, another new one? Um, and, uh, Yehuda kind of gave insight. He, he mentioned, like, they, they talked with NPM. They're like, Hey, a lot of people who do any kind of like enterprise level, any kind of large scale thing is running into problems with packages, overriding, updating, like taking a long time to do that. Um, we need like a lock file to make this like simple or, or like to know what we're shipping, you know, like, and that way you kind of like know you're getting a certain version of a certain file, um, up in, in NPM was kind of like, Oh yeah, well you can use shrink wrap or something like that. But, but, uh, which basically like siphons all your, your necessary things into a file or a, a folder, um, okay. that you kind of ship. Um, but the, I think I described that okay. We'll get emails. But the but yarn was like not good enough. We want something else. Yeah, yarn yarn is built by Facebook and Google. Like a lot of input there, um, and and basically they just need a file that is dependable. Like they need to like be able to mm -hmm. like say hey this this has to work like we need these actual like things we can't just on the fly like hope it hope we install the right ones or we can't let a, a new one with breaking changes sneak in um so that is what yarn is and and yehuda brought the behind the scenes <laughs> hot drama there yehuda mentioned it to npm and npm was just like well we we just can't we don't have the 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 like ability or bandwidth or whatever to create something like that. Um, and it would be a pretty big change to NPM itself. Like you'd have to, you'd have to kind of like re-architect. Okay, so at least they reached out, but then Yarn's like, oh, we're just going to do it anyway. Yeah. So Yarn just kind of made that feature and it's our new overlord, Chris. And it's I kind of open source though, isn't it? I remember when, what didn't like, and I'm, like the worst person to talk about this, but didn't node fork at one point and become something else. And then everybody thought that was so sweet. And then, and then it's just like, Oh, screw it. We'll just merge that stuff back into node. Yeah. Around the time of, of node one, um, the like joint was trying to make some patent claims cause they kind of owned node. Um, and 
the developers, all the lead developers were like, well, we don't like that. So we're going to start IOJS. And then, and then I think Joyant was like, okay, we're losing a lot of the core development team and nodes like not going to survive. So we'll relax our patent, you know, claims or whatever. And then they merged IO back in and that's how we got node four. So we went from like node one or node two to node four. Um, and so anyway, I mean, I, I only just thought of that because it's kind of like, who knows how this is all going to shake out? I mean, maybe Yarn will just exist forever as a thing. I mean, there's a bunch of branding and stuff behind it, so perhaps it will. Or perhaps NPM will be like, oh, this stuff is awesome. Let's just smash them all together. Yeah, well, I think it's sort of like a, a designed to be a a sort of a strict version, a strict um package manager as opposed to a um you know kind of loosey-goosey npm package looking at i've read some like i haven't even touched it once but i the the speed thing seems cool because people are like whoa it's like four times as fast for my thing whoa wow that's pretty cool and it looks like the commands do seem a little they seem like an evolutionary step ahead you know it's like npm you have to do like oh i shoot i forgot to do dash dash save so it didn't put it in my package.json which is weird so the next person that pulls this project won't have that because i screwed that up it like kind of does that by default doesn't mm. it and yeah yeah it seems like yeah so i think that's uh, that's kind of a cool thing i think it does like a very it's a what would you call it? Just like a, a responsible, uh, change. So I, I, Did you they, get any more drama or was that just it? I that mean, was, that was about it. I think, I think okay. just there, like, there's a bit of a struggle there. And so they, they kind of were like, we had, we kind of had to just make a new one because we had to solve this problem in NPM. NPM being all mad about it. They're like, cool, more tooling. No, Lori Voss uh, posted a, a thing and was like, we want diversity in the NPM ecosystem. You know, just, um, I think just having uh, more is better. And I, I, I agree. I, it's tough though. It, it's tough to say, I want more, but also, Oh God, I have to, I have to use another thing now that that's, you know, like it's true. I guess it's another dependency. It doesn't screw up authors though. Like if you want to make something available, to people who use yarn, you still just put it in the NPM registry. Yeah, you'll still be in the NPM registry. I think it's just kind of turns into like, like I know uh, Polymer just announced they are now all in on yarn. So, so all the documentation will be like yarn install this, yarn install that. Uh, um, I guess from a documentation standpoint, yeah, it does complicate things a little bit. Like if you use yarn, do this. If you use this, do this. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it'll probably be a year before there's like a, a, full switch over but but yeah. you know you know thing, you just can never tell how things are going to shake out that's well, what it makes it makes for good podcasting well yeah i mean i have i have like two <laughs> fit vids and and let's say lettering and and uh fit text they like people are like oh we want it on npm you know and and i want to do that i do i very much want to um but like People don't understand. Like when you have a thing on a thing, all of a sudden you're responsible for that. That's a new feature that you're now responsible for at, at like for the rest of your life. And so I've, I did Bower. Bower's great, but Bower has quirks where like it, you have to update. You used to have to update the GitHub tag, which is kind of a weird interface. You can only do that from the command line. And then you have to like push the tag only. And then you have to, uh, update the version number in your package.json or your bower.rc has to match the, you know, uh, it, it, I'm just, that's all to say, I think that people just assume it's super easy, but now it's like, oh, okay, well now I have like a, a NPM thing. Uh, now what do I do? Do I have to, do I have to do, um, a, like, do I have to do yarn as well? Or should I just start with yarn? What would be the, like, for registering and i guess it would do the same thing it doesn't matter like you're saying but uh, it's just it adds like a like a double complexity or whatever ah. yeah okay well i don't know so okay hey like good it. wrap up i don't know <laughs>
<laughs> maybe we'll do maybe uh, I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. Let's maybe do a few questions. I, I it's like I could talk some stuff about CSS DevCon, but I haven't exactly um, gathered a ton of thoughts about it yet. You know, because it's so fresh. I just got back. Uh, so maybe we'll do that next week or something. I heard it's good. I heard I heard there are a lot of good talks and and um my coworker Trent Walton spoke at it and he again he he uh he told me or was uh kind of like he was surprised I guess by the 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 double blind selection and mm-hmm. and he was just like it is so cool. It it's you get so many good talks and then you get people you've never heard of talking because it was selected on this like idea, not on the person's celebrity or name. It's, it's purely based on their like talk title and content pitch. So he said, he just was like, this was good. This was so cool. This was good. So. Yeah. 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 It was good. And it's like one of the, my hesitations is that if I, like I, it's a three track thing and I couldn't go to the best ofs either because I was hosting a show and tell during that time. So my perception and what I saw at CSS DevCom is totally different from what other people saw. So I guess it's not a hesitation, but it's like if I just feel like, oh, this was my best of CSS DevCom, it's like I probably missed some like really excellent stuff. So I would just caveat whatever I have to say about this conference with the fact that I only saw a third of the stuff. But I was there, and I saw, th- I heard people talking, and you know, I was part of the experience of it. So I, there's a few things that stood out to me. Uh, the actually, the the absolute winner of it was Mike Reithmuller, and it was about fluid typography. And Dave, you've seen the trick before, or if you haven't, he, well, welcome to awesomeness. It's kind of like it started with this. Um, font size 16 pixel plus like two VW. Have you seen that trick? Yeah. Where yep. it's like. So it's like you wouldn't just set font size 5 VW or whatever because it, 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 the, the swing is too drastic when you do that. It gets way too tiny. It gets way too big uh, when, you, when you set like that. So set like, like only just enhance it a little bit with font size units. Mm-hmm. But Mike's idea was like t- taking it a bit further than that and adding minimums and maximums to it. So I want it to be fluid, but I want it to have a minimum of this pixel value and a maximum of this pack or rem or whatever. You can use whatever unit you want to. So, so that, that idea is just so strong by itself that I was just like the whole world should use this kind of thing. And it, and it was, it was born out at CSS DevConf because he, you know, he, took home best talk. You know, he's an, he was an excellent speaker and presented it in an interesting and, and funny way. And I was like, the next day I woke up and I put it live on CodePen for all, uh, for all posts, wow. uh, which we reuse a number of places. Cause it's just so cool. Like when you see, like he had a demo that was so, it almost looks like SVG and how it resizes type, you know, there's like a paragraph of type that you expect when the, the screen, uh, narrows and widens that it will reflow a whole bunch but it's like you can get the numbers so perfectly that and the line length so perfect and all that that like it scales down without ever reflowing it's like amazing until the point at which it has to reflow because but it's but it's scalable up i love that i and i love that it could also replace fit text and you'd never have to download that or file an issue again i love yeah No, that's cool. I'm actually, I've been struggling with type on my site. Like, like my, ah, my age. Oh, H- you have to use that. Oh. It's just the new way. Oh, well, it's like, I have weird breakpoints all kicked in, but then my, like my, my, uh, H3s are a little weird. So I'd like, I, and I think like Reagan set me up with a good setup originally, like five, 10 years ago. And, uh, and now I'm like, I need to just like, mm, I need to punch my type just a bit. I need to like maybe get in some modular scale happening. So anyway. Um, well, Chris, should we there's, get there's into... a little bit more to it just because okay. I, I have to, um, are, are there any downsides? Give me the downsides fallback for, uh, no, it's not so bad because you have to set it in a value anyway, or like, that's the, the, the stuff that Mike puts out there is like you, you set like your body type and your H one through H six is in like a REM value anyway. Okay. And then, and then the thing is you're setting font size to a calc value and that's mm-hmm. what does all this magic. So yeah, in a situation the browser doesn't support calc or the units or whatever, it, it can fall back. And then it, it, because it's just font size, it fall it'll fall all the way back down to the UA style sheet if it needs to, which is fine. Right. So like right. it's real it's really 
That's robots. That's kind of yeah, very. That but here's the best part. Not only this, and so you know, you've heard Tim Brown talk about CSS locks, perhaps a little bit too, mm-hmm. which incorporates mm-hmm. line heights into this. It's very similar to CSS locks. Um, it doesn't do line height. I, I, you know, line height is cool too, but I, I think the one liner of this is like almost stronger. I think it's going to get more adoption because it's just hey, add this one liner to your body, and you get this awesome fluid type situation going on. It's very impressive. But more than this is what really got me on it is that um you've heard of modular scale too right which is like the easiest I've way heard to of it modular your... scale <laughs> that, yes because it like a like music exactly pentatonic <laughs> but the, the kind of idea is like let's say uh, the easiest way to think of it is h1 through h6 and they're all set as an exact um modifier of w- each other so you know mike has this demo where the modular scale at a, like a desktop size screen at a certain breakpoint is like 1.33 and that's pretty dramatic for a modular scale so the you know the h5 is 1.3 times bigger than the h6 and and the h4 is 1.6 or 1.3 times bigger than the the H4 all the way up to H1, right? So it it creates this curve of how big headers are from each other. Mm -hmm. And it's not just headers. It could be anything, but generally it's headers, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But then that is way too dramatic on mobile. On mobile, the the modular scale really needs to change to something more like 1.05 or something. Because you just can't be that dramatic of size difference on, on mobile. So he's got this way to have fluid modular scale. So not only is just the, the, the body size type being fluid like this, but, but the modular scale is fluid as well. So imagine like this dramatic curve fluidly changing to a less dramatic curve for your headers. And, and that's like, wow. You know, when you see that demo, it's like, okay, this is definitely how type should be sized. It really feels good when you... Yeah, no, that's cool. It's like, um, I, I, man, let's do it. Let's call it a solved problem or, or like, cause, cause when you do like set type and breakpoints, it's always wild. It's always kind of a wild card. So it'd be nice to not have to do that on every situation. So, uh, yeah, speaking of that, and then there was, uh, there's a few more, but I'll save them for next week. So that sounds good. Well, I thought we should get into the questions and answers of our, uh, here, uh, uh, podcast that's the meat and potatoes and we have a question here from chris ends the audio guy for the shop talk show uh very very esteemed gentleman and here we go hey guys long time editor first time caller i'm a web dev who lives in wordpress land with my client work where i'm a jack of all trades but kind of a master of none and i'm trying to build a new site for my podcast and we're using siteleaf jekyll sort of to do so in late 2016, is it okay to build it with CSS Grid as the basis for layout, or should we be using Flexbox, or just stick with table layouts like my grandparents did it? Thanks for taking the call. I'm going to hang up the phone now. Excellent. <laughs> he was on an actual phone. That's great. Um, <laughs> all right. Here we go, Chris. CSS Grid 2016. Ready well, there's for lots prime of talk time? Of, there's lots of talk about this at conferences. Um, both Jen Simmons and Rachel Andrews, who are at... Both of the last two conferences with are both talk about this stuff. Jen Simmons's message is all about you know getting less prescriptive with your web layout and taking advantage of newfangled CSS stuff to do more awesome stuff with layout. And then Rachel Anders just digs into grid and was like, "This is what grid is, and this is how it works." And you know uh, the nitty gritty of of the code of grid, which is an awesome one two punch. And they both talk about the the browser support of it and it's like it looks real their messages it looks really bad like you go to can i use and you look and it's just all red essentially for grid layout Um, but the story is actually a little better than that in that um, the spec is becoming really stable and there's implementations in a bunch of browsers of it already and it just needs to like like at one point it's just all going to drop at once is the is the thinking and it's going to be pretty sweet you know it's not going to it's going to be one of the more clean rollouts of a feature ever maybe 
Uh, and there'll probably be some bugs and stuff, but it's gonna be it's gonna be less buggy probably than Flexbox or certainly floats were back in the day and stuff like that. It's gonna be a because because there's implementation behind flags and and things in browsers. It's gonna drop. There's gonna be no vendor prefixes for any of it. it you know, I think it's gonna be like spring 2017. It'll just be like, oh, grids available in everything. Let's go. Hmm. Mm. Um, so, but would you right now, right today, ship something with grid? Probably not. Probably not. Huh? I, I'm very excited. Um, I am, uh, I, I guess I don't know. I'm, I think I'm, I'm like, I think I'm struggling like to, to with how much I want it. I, I kind of like, it's going to do cool things, but like, man, it's like, it's hard to beat a tube of content. That's that's what I'll come down to. <laughs> so I don't know. Max max width is my favorite grid. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know you. Yeah. Uh, so could your site be a tube of content or or absolutely not? And mm-hmm. if the answer is yes, then it's like sure. Use grid, knowing that if it doesn't work, that it falls back to a a, a tube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's not bad at all. Um, uh, I think I've been using, I've been using a lot of Flexbox to solve like little problems here and there, you know? Um, and I know people are kind of like, uh, uh, Flexbox is just like a one direction solution, like, like a row or a column. It's not really a multi-column. Yeah, it's one, what's one direction with wrapping? Yeah. And that's, I don't know. I get pretty far with Flexbox and in, in what it does. So, um, I, you know, and then you can also like always make more Flexbox. I do too. Like I like the, I like the simplicity of it's a one directional layout system. So as a message that feels pretty good, but it also is like, not only does it have wrapping, but it has order changing as well. So like once you get like your, I don't know, it, it feels like a bit more than that. I feel like the it's it's unidirectional is a little oversimplified for what Flexbox. Yeah, do. yeah, I've done quite a bit in Flexbox. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I I would love CSS Grid to be awesome. I'm I think I'm on the conservative side of it. It's going to be so awesome. So, um, but I'm excited. I guess. Um, yeah. I think it it'll take. So what's our message for Chris? Like, just I don't know. It's probably worth. What's our, what's our mad money for somebody that's just doing client work? Grid. Yeah, don't buy. Twenty seventeen. I think it's from the more experimental among us for now. If you're just like knocking out client sites, I think you should maybe like uh, feel free to prosecute me for this, but maybe like ignore Grid for a minute longer. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so. I think uh, for me, subgrids is a huge deal. Um, and I know that's like maybe a version 1.2 or something like that for grid. So, um, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm waiting on that. I just, I've never had a grid that didn't need a subgrid, you know? So, um, right. And what Dave's talking about there for the, for the, for the, for the listeners there at home isn't nested grids. Because the word subgrid sounds like, oh, you can't put a grid inside a grid? That's awful. You can put a grid inside a grid, and you can put a grid inside a flexbox item, and you can put a flexbox item inside a grid. You can nest all this stuff as much as you want. The danger is that every in order for, for elements to participate on a grid, they have to be all ch- like brother and sister of each other what is siblings of each other mm-hmm. it, it almost that's the only way and as soon as you have a nested item that the nested item can't participate in that same grid mm-hmm. and so it, subgrids is a way to say oh i i, I want a way to traverse the dom a little bit and say that this child element can participate in the same grid as as a parent element and that that allows us to keep html a bit more semantic yeah and and it's just sort of like like you you need the the child needs to know about its parent. The child needs to know it's a member of a three fourths grid or something. Let's think of like a, a a sidebar. And so the child needs to know about its parent, which historically CSS is very terrible at. <laughs> so, um, 
I mean, even a really simple example of here's an H1 tag and then an unordered list with 10 list items in it. The H1 and the list items cannot participate on the same grid together because there's that UL in the way. Mm-hmm. So the subgrid would be like, it allows the UL to kind of disappear and have that H1 and those list items appear together, uh, which is cool. And it, it, so the temptation and the worry would be that oh, I'm a developer and I need those things to participate on the same grid together, so I'm not going to use a list. I'm going to use a bunch of divs because then the divs and the H1 live at the same level, which is you know what I would refer to as a flattening of HTML. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, hopefully... I, I'm, okay, Chris ends. Good work. Just ignore it. Just ignore it. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Bad money. Don't buy it. Here we go. Dan Shields writes in, uh, J- I have never really understood how you can use a client-side JavaScript request, but still conceal your authentication key and other private data from the person running your code. It is generally understood that you need some kind of server-side proxy uh, or do most services, Braintree for example, uh, since you use them, uh, connect to the API, but to your actual URL. So it doesn't matter if a person is able to see your authentication key because it won't be able to make a request as you. Um, yeah, we've talked about this in in context of Firebase. Yeah, Firebase recently, and there is so I I actually embarrassingly don't exactly know the answer to this either. Isn't OAuth over SSL kind of a way to get to, to talk to an API securely without needing any backend action um, or not? Yeah, I mean, so OAuth. Me like uh, you get authenticated and a like a token shakes hand. You say, "Hey, is this the person here?" And it's like, "Yes." Here's a token to like prove you're also not like <laughs> to make it more secure. And they go, "Okay, cool. I'm gonna sign this token, hand that back to you." And the service says, "Cool, you can access this information." But not every API has that kind of not every. Ordinary, no, right? I, I think he's thinking of like where you'd say like um, I don't know X header. API key equals, you know, OU812. And well, right. I, I've messed with Airtable recently, and it's like, okay, so I have an Airtable account, which is like a DB in the sky kind of thing, right? It's a DB cool in software. the sky. But I don't want you to be able to write to my Airtables. No. That's not right. No. That's not secure at all. So I need to pass an API key. The problem is one of the ways that you can paste that API key is just right in the Ajax request. And because it's in the Ajax request, that means anybody can see it. You can see my JavaScript and my API key sitting there right in my JavaScript, which by nature needs to be public. Now you have my API key and it's, I'm not I'm not blocking it. So, of course, they don't they don't say, hey, this is how you should operate. They allow you to do it that way if you want to, but they mostly say, oh, you need a server-side proxy. And you put your API key in that server-side proxy, and the server-side makes the actual API. It just acts as a little middleman. The whole point of the middleman being that you can hide that API key somewhere that isn't public. Yeah, yeah. You'd need to like make a request to some server to like do that they're just called api proxies usually right yeah i guess so um every api offers them and they're and sometimes they offer little helpers to to like simplify working with the api and stuff api wrappers they're sometimes called so dan's saying that like what if you don't want to use one of those what if you don't have a server what if you want to rock this all on github pages or whatever so the because you can't run any server-side anything there. yeah so when i do um like like google like Google Maps or something like that. Um, you need to use an API key now or calend- Google Calendar. Um, mm. And so your key is public and your key is limited. But the the way I think a lot of places solve this is your key is only good for some domain. Like you have to whitelist domains this key can be used on. And that, so if the, the and, and I believe it would be like your... Um, like the servers, like cores, cross-origin resource scripting, it would only allow requests from this domain. And so, in theory, if I own DaveRupert.com... Oh, spoofable, though? No? Does it deal with the spoofing? Um, I Probably. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, in theory, like DaveRupert.com, I am the owner of that. I am the sole executor. Um, and so, if DaveRupert.com can, would make a request to Google Maps... Google Maps would say, 
cool. This came from DaveRupert.com. I verified that that's a real person and a real thing. So it's like it's a little bit like how a type kit kit will only work on certain domains that you whitelist. Yeah, yeah. I think they just kind of like they they detect who the requester and then like say yes, n- yep, nope um, to block it. But I would think with with something like Typekit, it'd be like okay, if you went through the trouble to spoof what domain you're on so that the Typekit kit works, like I don't know, maybe they have some protection against that. It's probably against their terms of service, but in the end, they're probably just like it's so rare and like. <laughs> not that big of a deal that we just don't deal with it. Yep. Yeah. But if it's I, actual I, secure data though, that would matter, you know? Well, I mean, some f- they get fonts. I mean, I guess they get like some cookies and headers handed. Um, but if you're asking for data from something that has a little more sensitive than that, what do you do? You just, it, I, I don't know. Like my, my question, I guess, to the shop talk universe or you, if you know it, is there a way to be absolutely secure only on the client side uh, asking Working with an API that requires an API key. See, I'm not. Not really. Not even sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think about like, like, like you're in a Firebase, right? Um, And let's say even I'm authenticated, you know, I mean, could I just hop into console and like do like Firebase, you know, connect to Firebase, get users and just siphon all the users from this website is that I, that seems like a possibility because if my web page can ask for all the users, then my, my JavaScript console could also ask for all the users. It, it seems very like, I don't know, like client side only seems somewhat dangerous. Like unless you've, you've figured out how to harden all this stuff. Surely there's some way where I'm just, I'm going to claim ignorance on this I'll one. But yeah, ignorance. if you, I would say, Dan, if you want to, um, if you want to be really secure with that API key, API proxy, it is. Yeah. Only, only let servers send secret information. That would be my advice. Indeed. So Benjamin Hughes here is, is writing in, I'm in the initial process of creating, uh, the website for a new web comic. I'd like to do it in WordPress, but I'm unsure of how to begin. I daily work on smaller JavaScript intense interactive graphics, uh, but I've worked with WordPress where I created everything through the WordPress interface. Is it? It's easy to make a quick and dirty WordPress site, but getting a nicer setup is a bit harder. Uh, what would I? Uh, you know, I would ask you guys how to get started with a good WordPress setup the build process and cloud services and testing and stuff. So I, I'm not actually, you know, not sure what Benjamin is exactly asking here, but like, like above and beyond a quick and dirty website. Do, do you, can you imagine what he means when he says quick and dirty? Um, uh, I could imagine. Uh, so when you set up a WordPress site, let's, let's walk through the steps. I, I download the thing from the, from wordpress.org. I, you know, yeah. I, I set up a map thing. I put the things in there. I set up the database, all the WP config. And then I start like, I got a theme folder. Maybe I want a new theme. I install a theme. And then I start like kind of tinkering. There's even more dependencies though. There's like, I have hosting that supports PHP and MySQL. And this is in your setup assumes that he's going to work locally at all, which you don't necessarily have to, but could. And then we have skipped over the whole thing of when people just say WordPress and say quick and dirty WordPress site, they might mean WordPress.com, you know? Yeah. In which case that's real. I mean, there's nothing dirty about it, but it's quick. It's quick. So yeah, I guess like if you're, so Benjamin said he like does JavaScript, like interactive JavaScript graphics. So coming from like a, I can do this in a code pen to now like, Oh, I want to like put my web comic online. Oh man, I need like a whole WordPress. I mean, I, I think like, I, I think if I was in Ben's situation, I would just use something like WordPress.com or, or gosh, something even simpler. Um, I'm trying to think what's a Tumblr or something just because like the, the profile or the, the portfolio you're showing off is, is less about the, is, is more about the comic or, or in, in less about the like technical achievement of setting up a WordPress or I know it's just so it depends so much on what you want you know mm-hmm. you want a URL for each one of your web comics do you need comments do you need other people to be able to log in and manage things for you do you are you trying to collect email addresses for a newsletter or something are you 
all right, do you need lots of design control or don't care about design control? I mean, there's this whole checklist of things that you need to think about before. And it always feels a little weird when people like jump right to the CMS choice a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I have no idea what you need. Just because it's a webcomic doesn't mean like, oh yeah, that's a that's a WordPress job if I've ever seen one. Right. I I you know, I would also do what other people do, but and I don't know. So a WordPress at its core, like a WordPress theme, like a custom WordPress theme can just be a style sheet and an index.html. Like, like it could just be that. Um, or it could be an index.html and a single.html. Um, but if you're, or, but if you're doing a, uh, web comic, you probably want the style, the index, the single and the archive, like browse by like all of them or, or, some sort of run, yeah. some sort of tag run. Um, so, and it, even as even as like, there's other venues for that. I've made, I've heard the case be made for like a medium first publication where it's the the exact op- like the, the opposite of the indie web, right? Which is like publish on your own website and then syndicate it out to medium. You know, I've 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 seen a compelling case made for like, no, we publish first on medium and then like archive it on our own website. But even that, it's so like, could your webs could this webcomic just be a like medium posts? What what why not Twitter only? You know, it's, imagine it's just a graphic, right? Could could your webcomic be like a Twitter first webcomic, or a Tumblr, like Dave said, or whatever? Like, there's there's other ways than like I need a website with a CMS on it to publish my webcomic. There's so many other ways to rethink how that what distribution is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I the the like medium comic interface is actually pretty super good. So that's. But I don't know. I'm going to give Benjamin the benefit of the doubt. Like you can like, like you can like do WordPress like for your comic. I think you should, but does, I I don't know. You don't need like, it, it can be simple. You just have to kind of like strip away everything. And that's actually a process too. Like, like it can be like five web files in a WP content or WP, WordPress theme folder. Um, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's super easy. My mind immediately overcomplicated it when WordPress came into it. I was like, not overcomplicated, but I was like, because it's a comic that feels like a custom post type to me. It was like, you might as well just like get it, get set up with, if you're going to use WordPress, make a comic post type that has all the, the, the specific data that surrounds a particular comic. So then slash comics is a thing. Like uh, you already have the URL. Yeah, it might affect URL, but it might affect, I don't know, what other metadata would go with a comic. Like maybe it's a series of web comics so that it has related ones. So you can, I don't know, there's some programmatic connection between a multi-part web comic and yeah, I don't know. I actually can't think of all the ones because be like date published, I guess, who the author of it is, but that's always you. So maybe that's not necessary, but uh, tagging that's individual to that. But I only think of it because then like if you just use post, then like then you don't have native posts too. It's, it seems like what if you had comics, but you also then wanted to blog mm. separately. Yeah. Yeah. Which people like PAX and Penny Arcade and stuff do. So. All right. Well, good luck, Benjamin. Uh, I think we've talked for long enough, Chris. Let's make some money. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Send With Us. Let me set the stage for a minute. You know that you need to send emails for your app, for example. And you're probably familiar with email sending services that you like log in and design the email right in there and then send it to a list of existing people that are just on the list. That's great and everything, but you're a web app and you need to send email like right after a user signs up. You need transactional email. You need to send an email three days after they send up, 10 days after they sign up. You want to send email when they click a certain button in the app. Transactional emails, those are called. Very powerful, super important for all web apps. So you need a email service provider to send those, like an API to send email with. And there's lots of them and you've probably heard of them like uh, Postmark and SendGrid and even through AWS and Mandrel and SparkPost, whatever. Now you've switched to that and 
you don't get any help anymore. There's no UI to help you build those emails. There's no like A-B testing built in. There's no localization and translation and analytics and really good analytics built in and stuff. That's what Send With Us is. It's like you can use a transactional email provider, but Send With Us does all the stuff that you wish that your ESP did. Uh, it's really cool. So if you want to sign up for that, go to sendwithus.com slash shop talk uh, and you'll get three months free of all their features and stuff and uh, uh, device testing too, which is super valuable. Make sure your email looks right on over 40 clients before you send it. It's basically like take a, you know, just a simple API email sending service and just beef it up with all the features you could possibly want. Ryan Miller writes in, Dave. This question is inspired by HTTP2, which I only just heard about a month ago. <laughs> you and I both, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> I, I find that I have less and less time to read up on the latest web trends and technologies. Being a designer, front-end dev, and owner of an agency at uh, and the duties that come with that as well, uh, what advice do you have for staying on top of industry buzz and when your schedule is so tight? First of all, Ryan, all the cool people just say H2. H2. Yeah. So yeah. That's what yeah. you have to say. H2. Um, um, so industry- I also have endless questions about this. So you start. Well, so uh, I'm going to give you the best answer first. Uh, web platform daily. Put it in an RSS reader or pay money and get it emailed to you. Um, that's the best way. It's like five articles. Um I, I'm going to m- murder the pronunciation of his name. Sime Vitas. Is that right? Um, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if the pronunciation is right, but I know exactly what you mean. And I read it every single day as well. It's probably my number one source of like hot web links. Yeah. Um, I have no idea how he does it. Cause the links that I find in there, I, I almost never find anywhere. It's, else. it's almost like one off Twitter conversations. It's like you caught up on all the Twitter conversations. It's, it's the best like there is. Um, it must be extremely demanding to to have that level of connection to the industry. Yeah. I stay pretty caught up and I miss most of it. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you if if, if he got sick and like missed a day or two days, uh we wouldn't know what happened. We wouldn't even know. But um <laughs> uh but yeah, this is uh, I think um I think uh, a a good um I I would say that's the best place to start. Um and it's usually like too technical, too opinion, and then just some like random conversations kind of that, that you should maybe like catch up and read on. Um, so I would definitely subscribe to that. Um, that would be your minimum viable catch up, I believe. Um, and even that is you look at the titles, if they're not interesting to you, don't read it. Like if you're not interested in HTH2 right now, um, don't worry about it. Like <laughs> it'll, it'll, it's probably too, um, too new to like care about, but, um, I don't know. I'm at the point where it's like, finally, I'm like, you know, H H2 is probably going to be a requirement for the next thing I build. Um, Oh, interesting. So. I can't wait to you and get in on it. You're always do you always you're like, oh, I think I'm gonna play with it. And then before I know it, you you've like shipped a production product with some new technology that blows my mind. I'd like to do that stuff, but it's um <laughs> but it's not it's definitely not like I don't know. All everything's like just use it. Just like the Brad Frost just post. It, it's like just H2, just SSL, just do these things. And it's like, oh, actually, these like all have like problems, you know, that come up with it. I think you were talking about that this week about SSL. Like it's cool until your CDN's SSL get it, gets its certificate revoked. And then you have problem like your CSS doesn't. Oh, happen, yeah. So. It's still affecting me right now. That particular one. It's so crazy because and then people's tweets back were like, oh, you guess you didn't test enough. I'm like, no, no, no. You don't understand. I didn't do anything at all. I, I was on an Nothing. airplane when my website broke. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, uh, no, anyway, yeah. it's not broken. It's not super widespread. I don't know. Get, what it, do you see CSS when you go to CSS? Let me see. CSS. I suspect that you will. I get CSS. Very sp- yeah. So it's like, I don't know. There's a few routers on the internet where, with an invalid cert. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even understand it, but it's like, 
even my CDN, when I reached out to them, they're like, oh, it's actually this other industry. It's like dependencies and dependencies and dependencies with it. And anyway, I know I didn't do a very good job of explaining what's, what's happening. I don't, I don't want to necessarily go into it for the world. Mm-hmm. Not that interesting of a podcast thing, but it's a, it's a, it's a thing that can go wrong. And I guess that's your, what you're trying to say about HTTP2 is that it, that is yet another kind of weird thing that if you don't know about it could bite you. Well, yeah. Like, uh, so the, one of the benefits of H2 is like uh, being touted. It's on every blog it's like oh performance man you don't have to minify a thing anymore you know and then we have preload where where you can tell configure the server to send files and it turns out like doing that is actually super difficult and there's no like auto magical script that does that for you um so so like server the big one that gets talked about that i think of is the is the because of the persistent connection, which is apparently possible with HTTP one, like keep connection alive command or whatever. But I, I think maybe it's better or something in HTTP two that that like things like CSS sprites will actually become an anti pattern because there's no benefit to smashing all the requests to one file. It's the same file size and same efficiency to send them all individually because the connection just stays open and whatever. It doesn't have to ping back and forth for every file, which is where all the time was lost before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay, great. Sprites are an anti pattern. Let's not do sprites anymore. In fact, our icon systems. Will there'll be? We don't even need an SVG icon system anymore. It'll largely just be, especially if you don't need any CSS coloring or everything. All our icons are going to be image source equals whatever icon.svg. That's going to be kind of awesome because we don't need any fancy build tools or anything to do it. And we're not incurring any penalty by doing it either because of HTTP2. Great. I'm on board with that. I like that. I can't wait for that day to come. That seems like it's a simplification that's been a long time coming. When can I do that without worrying that someone is hurt by it? Like who benefits? If I shipped that today at all my sites, just replaced all the icons with individual, am I hurting? Are my hurting more than I'm helping or helping more than I'm hurting? Or is there a way for me to make the, it doesn't seem like there's a, a, a a clever fallback way to handle that. It seems like an all or nothing kind of move. And I just don't know like what the schedule is for switching over to HTTP2 and taking advantage of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So HTTP2, H2 is in everything except upper mini. So you like you will get a benefit in, in everything except upper mini. Um, so so that is the time here. You know, I've seen like there was a tweet that went around for it that was pretty compelling. That was like, here's the future of like modules and and development uh, in the future. Div class equals module. Right under that div, link rel module.css, whatever style sheet. And then script source equals module.js. Mm, like yeah. like you load the HTML first. The CSS to style it second, or maybe even above it, so it blocks it or something. And then the JavaScript below it that adds the functionality to that module, and it's all contained. The CSS only affects that little bit of HTML. The JavaScript only empowers that little bit of HTML. You don't need to worry about concatenating anything together or whatever. Like, is anybody going to start shipping it? It seemed so theoretical when you saw that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like. Like I, you know, people are just like, oh, it just, just works, you know, and that again, back to the just like, oh, it just, just that easy. I, I think it's going to be good. I, 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 it's the way things are going. I mean, like, unless HTTP, it took 11 years to like redraft the spec or something. So unless like, like, <laughs> um, like HTTP three is on around the corner. I, I, I think like everyone should be moving that way. I mean, I'm looking at, can I use, the chart usage relative is a cool feature you can do. Um, so like you see current aligned right. for the current version usage relative. Um, and, and, you know, opera mini is out Android browser, Android's browser, like the, the default Android browser that's also out, which, um, the, so that's maybe the biggest penalty for those people. Cause that is a mobile browser, um, there are limits to and then, stuff too. Okay, so the support is pretty swallowed, except for Opera Mini. Right? Op- so, Opera okay, Mini and UC it. Browser, which is the second most popular mobile browser, um, 
on the web and yeah. that's like a Chinese proxy browser. So that's probably more like opera mining. Um, they would be hit pretty hard probably. So, I mean, I look at some pages on CodePen, and if we didn't concatenate our scripts at all, there'd be like, no joke, like 40 or 50 scripts only because in development, we've used a lot of includes and stuff and, and broken stuff up into smaller module chunks, you know, N- not worrying about it because we concatenate them all together. Okay, great. You tell me now. HTTP two doesn't matter if you do, if you split things apart anymore. There's no performance. Is it actually true? Can you actually load fifty scripts and have that not be a problem in HTTP two? Doesn't that seem excessive? It, I mean, my, my brain just hasn't switched over. Maybe. Yeah, I think there's a, a at a point it's not good. You know, like like in the hundreds and stuff like that. Um, I think somebody <laughs> did some tests on that. Um, uh, the um. What I so here's can I mouth blog? I I don't know enough yeah. about this. And again, no, you're listening to Shop Talk. For those just joining, you're listening to Shop Talk Show, a podcast about uh, where Chris and I talk about things we don't know about. Um, but the uh, like you have you have uh, a bunch of requests, right? So I'm I'm doubling, tripling, qu- quintupling the requests, um, and it's all for performance because it's faster. It doesn't have to do the handshaking and every and everything. Um, is that so one of the biggest problems with development right now, like a, another hot drama topic is, is network fragility. Did, I don't know if you caught up all with all of that, but, but the, now we have to be offline first and the network is fragile. And, uh, but you know, what if you, what if, what if you're trying to send 50 files just to bootstrap your site? Is that, are you even with H does H2 have better network tolerance or is it, going to just fall over because you are requesting too many separate files or does that not matter is it only about the handshake that's maybe what that's actually maybe sounds more right like if the server doesn't have to do a handshake then it's actually easier because there's less back and forth i don't know chris I just don't know. That was a lot of I don't know. So we might just kind of want to leave it alone here. Have somebody write in with like an epic eight paragraph thing that explains. Yeah, if all this Ilya Grigoric wants to uh, write in with a sure. better answer, it seems you know. It, I want the pragmatic view of it, not the the super fancy technical version of it. We can look at the browser support. We see it's there. What is it when when does it actually start affect how what we actually do? Because it does not seem like very many people have changed their build processes and stuff. It seems like we're still largely operating in an HTTP one world. Well, I could so I could give an example. Right now I have I have an icon system, right? And for I have like a logo and like four icons in my header and then like three icons in my footer. Like that's on my base website stuff i you know it i want to update that day trip logo because i think i could like shave off 15 kilobytes with a simpler logo um now i have to like go in and i have to gulp and smash those things together and then i have to redeploy it would be cool if i could just like drop in a new svg and say go go (laughs) go to the cloud you win like yeah well and that because the reason that the spriting has become an anti-pattern is that like if you if those were all separate now when you do that even if you did it great now you've saved 15 bytes but you've invalidated the cache on all of them yeah yeah um so now yeah it's like now like everyone has to refresh everything it's not just like it's not just this one little partial get is needs to get refetched. So, but that's not, I mean, yeah, I think that would be a huge deal too for like, uh, you think of something like Buzzfeed or something like what if they change an icon? Do they have to read Does Everyone have to redownload every single icon for Buzzfeed. Uh, like every time they, they add an icon that seems bad, you know? Um, Buzzfeeds. I would think on most sites in the world that have an icon system, that's how it works. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're running towards the end of those days. If it, if there, it's not, it might already be here. Chris, you want to do one more? Or you, uh, we have to wrap. Yeah, up. we can. Pr- okay, here. we can probably do a, a, a quickie here. Uh, it's, it, I'm sure it won't be quick. But Michael Rose writes in. 
Uh, do you have any advice on improving a slow WordPress database? I guess it could be any database. We'll see. Um, I've been um, over the common stuff like optimizing MySQL tables, cleaning out junk like unused post meta from old plugins that have been removed and spam comments, post revisions, etc. Keeping plugins to a minimum, but nothing seems to make much of a difference. Is this just the sort of problem you have to throw money at to beef up the hosting environment, memory, speed, whatever? Or are there other things I can look at doing first? The front end of the site is fairly well-tuned and loads speedy due to caching, plugins, CDN, etc. But I was wondering if there's anything left on the table as far as database optimization that, be can, that can be done to speed up the WP admin interface itself. I absolutely empathize with you, Mr. Michael Rose, as that for years I dealt with CSS tricks being fairly fast, again, thanks to just front-end engineering and and caching and stuff, being that I, I wasn't that worried. And I just let the back-end be really slow because it just doesn't matter. It's just for me and a few writers and stuff. But there was a there was started to be time where it was like 10 seconds a page load. And I was just like, man, this is nuts. There's, this isn't how WordPress has to be. And it, as evidenced by the entirety of WordPress.com and every single of the millions of blogs on it are a one giant SQL database and a WordPress multi-site install. Like clearly it's not MySQL that's the problem here. There's something else going on, you know? Yeah. Like WordPress can be fast. Like when I install a fresh fresh WordPress site on my local host, it's fast as heck. There's like so the question is like what is it? That makes makes it slow. And and Michael is like, it's MySQL. And so the first thing is to determine that your hypothesis is true. Because it may not be. It may be other thing. It may be the PHP layer that's slow. It's like the, the trick is to figure it out. Because at the front end, all you can do is look at the console and look at the network waterfall and see what that time to first byte is. And then but that that doesn't let you dig into that time to first byte. What you really need is something like I don't know what are those. What are the ba- what's the popular backend tool for that that you installed? New Relic or whatever. Yeah, New Relic. You really need something like that to show you actually what's going on there. Like maybe it really was the PHP. Maybe it's hitting a memory lake and it has to write to disk, and it's your disk speed that's the problem. And really having a, a heart, a solid state drive or something would be the thing. It's it's I don't I you know as we've said many times in the show. We're talking about stuff we don't know about, <laughs> but it it may not just be a matter of being able to index a table and having that be faster. It may the limiting factor may be something else? Um, yeah, I'm on uh, CSS tricks finding and fixing slow WordPress database queries. Um, yeah, not I'm. I'm, it could be a slow query. It could be. Well, yeah, I was just uh, trolling. I'm sorry. But um, the yeah. I there is like, I, I think there's things like turn off post revisions, turn off autosave, like those things like add load to the database and they're going to like slow it down, stall it out. Um, there's, you know, comments like chucking out spam. That's a huge, very, you know, important thing you you may even consider discus or something to like offload all that comment work to something else if it's a really big blog or something like that um i i think though you're kind of like problem you know if you're you're like i don't know i think it usually comes down to plugins right because chris you and i are on um we do we do shop talk show on WordPress and there's there the admin has a little bit of a lag like it is pretty slow and and we're not doing much but it's there's something about it that I think is is sort of noticeably slow so you know turning off all those like stats and and all that stuff like all those little graphs and all that junk like like mm. make it do less work I think that's a really important thing um, if you're on the like on the front end you know if people are hitting your site while you're doing the admin it's also going to be slow because like the front of the site is is loading the database you know you should have all that cached and all that you know hopefully um, but if you don't and the front end is loading the site loading the database like causing load then your admin is also going to back end slow too yeah yeah you're right so um so i would i would definitely like make sure you're you're doing stuff well um because you know in wordpress you know mysql should work up to like ten thousand 
or millions of, of rows in your table. Like it, it just should. Like that's what it's yeah, designed. The size for. of the data, like deleting an old table really should not be the thing that <laughs> makes your database faster. It feels good to clear out cruft, you know, because it's just in the history of computing, it's always been good to like, I don't know, empty out old folders of crap yeah. and it seems to do the trick, you know, but that, I don't think that will make that much of a difference. You know, uh, the re- the way that it was solved on CSS Tricks was um, on Media Temple and, you know, it was talking with them and helping and because their server, you know, can you talk to your host and be like, hey, look, this is just slow. What do you think it is? Can you look at this and 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 guess, or hopefully not guess, but have data to figure out what is the limiting factor? Can you get? Can you throw a free new relic on there and 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 see what it is? Like maybe it's the PHP level that's taking forever. The way it was ultimately fixed on CSS Tricks through Media Temple's help was like we're gonna just fix all this stuff. We're gonna have we're gonna have Nginx be the thing and do some Nginx reverse proxy caching or whatever, which is the so I don't use any WordPress caching at all on CSS oh, tricks. Gosh, it's just the that's Nginx level. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of because I I have trouble with those. Like I, I thought anyway. Let's not get into that. But then it was like let's put it on a new. Let's get PHP seven running, which is all kinds of fast, and get that on it. And we'll put it all SSD drive, so that's going. And you know, we'll make sure that the server is fairly robust and has plenty of disk space and plenty of memory and stuff. And just watch all that stuff and hit it from all the angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, and it's good now. You know, it goes up and down. It's 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 a thing to watch. It's not the fastest site on the internet or anything. But the but uh, for the first time in a hot while. It's actually the the front end is the limiting thing. I always used to be like proud of myself for being that like, oh, the front end is fast, but the back end has a, you know, 1.5 seconds to time to first byte or something. So that's really the limiting factor. For the most part now, they're well under a second. In fact, it, the, it's usually under 500. Sometimes it's under 200 milliseconds for that. Uh, for that for that time to first bite, you know, just the document or whatever. And so now the any any slowness on CS Strix is my fault now. Mm. Mm. Whoops. <laughs> but that's fun because those feel easier for to fix for me. Well, and it's also you know? yeah, you you've eliminated a huge variable. You know, like like you can't right. you can't even start to um like pl- like poke at your front end performance problems until like a lot of your backend stuff is solved. You know, you, you need like, you need a solid foundation to start like tinkering with the paint colors on your house or whatever. You do. And that's why I've always thought that like, I really, for a minute, that was really hot to talk about the like 80, 20, you know, it's, it's 80% front end, 20% backend speed. And it kind of is assuming that 20% is already really fast. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, then that's the, really the first thing you need to solve. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, hopefully that helps. Um, yeah, it, it is. WordPress is so easy, but it's also easy to like, you know, you just do get posts a few times on one template. And now all of a sudden you've, you've hurt yourself. You, <laughs> you've hurt your, your database and your website. So good luck. Yeah. Before I made all those changes, I was having people dig into database queries and stuff. And there's, there's little pl- plugins. I had people write specifically just for CSS tricks, you know, paid, paid freelance work that was like, Oh, I see it's your, you have too many custom fields and let me, you know, the admin pages are making a query for all custom fields. That's pretty slow. Let me throw a WordPress transient in there. So there's little things like that too. But I, you know, the thing that really, it really ended up being a kind of a throw money at it situation. So yeah. that, that's not an impossible. Yeah. Bringing it back to Yehuda. Uh, I, for uh, day trip, which is a rails app. Um, and there's a great thing called skylight, uh, which Yehuda and Tom Dale work on. And it, it's like, it'll detect your slow queries where you've made like, and it uses like, O notation. Like you have an N plus one or an N squared query here. So yeah. you need to uh, fix that. And you do it this way. And, and that actually, I, I did some database golf one day and like eliminated literally thousands of queries from, from the daily operations. So huge, isn't it? Uh, it's, we just, we just fixed an N plus one query on CodePen the other day. It's, there's, there's always a way to. Yeah. And, and like, you don't realize you're doing it and, but it's it, when you do that, it's just like your server, you can almost hear it just start breathing again. <laughs> like, like it just goes, Oh God, thank God you got that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God you quit doing that. So, 
Um, but yeah, I would, uh, yeah. New relic is kind of the, the pro version of that or like the, the ultra version. I, I like skylight though, but it's only rails and ember. So, all right. Well, Chris, it's that time. We got to wrap it up. This has been a very long episode of shop talk show, podcast all about friend and web design and development. If you, uh, uh, could, uh, please start heart favorite this in your podcatcher of choice. That's how people find out about the show. Uh, be sure to, uh, follow us on Twitter at shop talk show, tweet about the show. Uh, we tweet about 10 tweets a month. Maybe now it's up to 11 or possibly even 12. Hopefully not. Uh, if you hate your job, head over to shop talk show.com slash jobs. People want to hire you. If you hate your t-shirt, head over to shop talks choptalkshow.com slash something store or some shop or something. I wish I knew. Um, I should know at this point. And uh, Chris, you got anything else? Choptalkshow.com. Uh, 